Welcome to the podcast, a spin-off of Gab with Pab, where Pab weighs in on the latest films and television. This week I'm reviewing Thor, Love and Thunder. This is a spoiler-free review, so if you'd like to hear my more in-depth spoiler-filled review, click the link in this episode's show notes to be taken to my full review. I just don't know, y'all. I'm a big fan of Taika Waititi, and Thor Ragnarok is easily in my top five favorite MCU films, but this fourth Thor movie was a struggle. On paper, a follow-up to Ragnarok by the same director is completely welcome, but in practice, it ends up feeling a lot like eating an entire birthday cake by yourself. Love and Thunder leans hard into the Waititi tone with a non-stop barrage of silliness, and in fairness, a lot of what made Ragnarok work isn't possible here. The last film was full of new, risky ideas and characters. It finally gave us the Jack Kirby aesthetic. It packed in introductions to Valkyrie, Korg, more on that later, Meek, Executioner, and the Grandmaster, while managing to reintroduce the Hulk and Loki in meaningful ways. Here, we're not introducing new characters aside from a villain of the week in Christian Bale's Gore the God Butcher, a definite downgrade in every way from Kate Blanchett's Hela. But hey, we got two goats that scream for the entire film at least. The goats are emblematic of everything wrong with Love and Thunder. Take something that worked and run it into the ground. Five years after the release of Ragnarok, it's just time for something new. Why are we spending time on characters that have outworn their usefulness and welcome like Korg and Meek, and some weird plot involving a rescue of a bunch of children we've never met before? And Taika's penchant for slow-mo wide shots of leaping attacks set to classic rock songs has grown tedious. All of that would still be fine if we weren't still doing the never-in-on-the-joke fish-out-of-water bit with Thor in his own fourth feature film. On top of that, the film suffers from the MCU's recent problem with inconsistent CGI. I'm dubbing this problem the Uncanny Stanley. So what's good about Love and Thunder? Russell Crowe's take on Zeus is so ridiculous that it circles back around to being great. And Natalie Portman kills it as the mighty Thor, and if that doesn't work for you, Dr. Jane Foster, and if not that, then you can eat her hammer. I suppose now is as good a time as any to get into Marvel's Phase 4, which feels more missed than hit right now. I have it scored Spider-Man No Way Home and Shang-Chi as the only universally liked entries so far this phase. Personally, I really disliked Eternals. It was long, boring, and visually uninteresting. And Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness was rough, if not admirable for at least venturing into uncharted territory and exploring the horror genre a bit. MCU TV has had about the same success rate as well. I score WandaVision, Loki, and Hawkeye as hits, but Falcon and the Winter Soldier and Moon Knight, they're definitely misses for me. Ms. Marvel still has one episode left and has been a mixed bag. 2022 is shaping up to be pretty disappointing, with only Black Panther Wakanda Forever and Captain Marvel 2 left on the docket. TV-wise, you've got She-Hulk incoming, and that looks like a CGI disaster. So where does this film stand in the context of the entire MCU? I think Natalie Portman's take on Mighty Thor will end up as the only reason to revisit this one. This is ultimately very mid, with a messy, treacly last act. I give Thor Love and Thunder 2 out of 5 pabs. You've been listening to the podcast. You can expect new reviews when new blockbusters or horror films hit the theaters. And let me know on social what films you'd like to hear me talk about at Pabably. That's P-A-B-A-B-L-Y. Thanks for listening.